Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17 in your Bibles, and I'll just give you a very abbreviated version of what I was gonna of what I was gonna give you tonight. One of the reasons that I'm gonna go forward with this is because we have so many new people in the church, so many new families, and and uh, they they uh, are wondering, you know, what what is all this about? What is all this rise youth conference and vacation Bible school? And man, what what in the world is all of this about? And so I at least want to take just a few minutes tonight before we have our closing prayer and go home just to sort of tell you why we do what we do. What, what is this? You know, these young people up here and, and the tears that we've experienced this week and the tears that we saw this morning and, uh, and just all of these things. And then you walk in on a Sunday morning and we have so much preparation that's went into this week and and, and, and none of us really know what, what to expect with COVID, post-COVID. I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen this week. But we're just going to put forth the effort and we're going to pray and, and we're just going to see what the Lord does. And I know that some are wondering, what is, what is this? You know, I've never been a part of anything like this. Why, why does a church do all of this? And so I'm going to try to, in just a few moments tonight, I'm going to try to tell you why we do what we do. And I'll have to do it very, very quickly tonight. First Samuel chapter 17 in your Bibles. Why don't we give you an opportunity to stretch your legs? You've been sitting for a good long time. We're going to start in verse 20 and read down through verse number 29. And, um, and we, we may not even give you all the points tonight, but we'll just give you a few thoughts this evening. First Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 20. The Bible says, And David rose up early in the morning, and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And, the, and, the, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man? They're speaking to David now. Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. Watch closely, verse 28. The Bible says, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard, David's eldest brother, his oldest brother, and Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he, talking about David, spake unto the men, 
And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride, David, he's talking to his brother, and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. Verse number 29, and David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? We're gonna stop there tonight. I'm not gonna go into the rest of the story. Most of you know it. Philistine, the Philistine wasn't the champion that he thought he was. But I want to talk to you about that just a little bit tonight. And uh, let's see here, it's 722. And so you give me about 15 or 20 minutes here tonight. We're going to be having our closing prayer. You may be seated tonight. Father, we thank you for your blessings. Lord, thank you for these wonderful testimonies that we've heard, Lord, of, of the things that you've done this week in the hearts of our people God, I know that a number of our folks watched the live stream. I know we did, and we were challenged every single night. God, we were excited to see, Lord, you working. God, I'm glad that Satan hasn't got them all. Lord, I'm glad that there are still some young people that have a heart for the things of God. And I'm glad that, Lord, some of those young people right here at Calvary Baptist Church. And so, Lord... As we take just a few moments and close this service out and we get ready to start Vacation Bible School 2021 tomorrow night, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts, get us in the right frame of mind, help us to have the right spirit. God, as we seek to minister and to reach out to a lot of young people this week, A lot of families, Lord, my wife and I were, I think, having this conversation coming up the road tonight. And Vacation Bible School, in a way, it really is. It is a community outreach of sorts. And so, Father, as we try to reach out to our community this week, help us to have the love of Christ. And I pray that you use us to make a difference for for your good and for your, your grace. Net our hearts together now as we learn something from your word tonight. We love you and praise you, and we ask you for your help. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, and all the Lord's people said, amen. Verse number 29, and David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? You know, the Bible is so fresh. You can read a scripture over and over and over again. And then you can go back to that same scripture and it's amazing how the spirit of God can give you something brand new. I mean, just fresh off the press, just like fresh baked bread. And the Lord surely did that this week. I preached this message and I don't preach very many, very many reruns at Calvary. I just, uh, there's nothing wrong with it, but I just, I don't, I don't do that very much at Calvary. But this is one message that I have preached Somewhat down through the years as we just try to make sure that we're all heading in the same direction for vacation Bible school. But as I went back to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and I began to read it afresh this week, it's amazing how God began to speak to my heart in a brand new way. Eliab said to David, what are you doing here? Why did you come down? I know the naughtiness of your heart. You have just come down here to see the battle. And David said to his eldest brother, Eliab, is there not a cause? 
In other words, Eliab, there's very much a reason that I'm here. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, and I've done this. Through the years, I have preached that. And when David said, is there not a cause? We have sort of preached it like David said, I've come down here to take care of the giant. That's not what David was saying at all. David is not saying the cause that I'm here is that I'm supposed to kill that giant right there. That's not what David was saying. Because that's not why David came. You know what David is saying? David is saying this to, the, to his eldest brother. I'm not here by accident. And I'm not in this location because I didn't have anything better to do. David was saying, Eliab, I'm here on purpose. I am here because our father, that's what he's saying, our father sent me here to do what I'm doing. And that's to bring you provisions and to find out what's going on with the battle. Daddy sent me here to do that. He said, David, you leave this sheep with a keeper, go down to the battle line, you take some cheeses to the captain of the guard there. And, and then he said, you take these provisions to your brothers, your three brothers, older brothers that were fighting in the battle. You take provision to them, find out how the battle's going, come back uh, to me with word of how the battle is going. That's what David was talking about. David said, Eliab, I didn't come here to find out about the battle. I didn't come here to knock his block off. I didn't come here to, to put five smooth stones in my scrip and, and to put one in a sling and to, and to uh, defeat Goliath. That's not why I'm here. I'm here to carry out the will of our father. Our dad sent me here, and that's the cause that I'm here today. John 18, 37 says it like this. Pilate therefore saith unto him, Art thou king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world. In other words, my heavenly father sent me here. And for that cause, I'm here. 1 Corinthians 14, 16 says, Wherefore I beseech ye, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.13 says, For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. And someone says, Pastor, why do we do all these things? Why do we do youth conference? Why do we do vacation Bible school? Why is our VBS not a few, you know, a few lemon cookies and a cup of Kool-Aid and we just come in here for some kind of a little lesson and then we send our kids back home? I mean, why go to all the time and all the trouble and, and invest in all the decorations and, and all the prep work and all the prayer and, and all the preaching and all the contests and, and all the things that we do and, and, and why invite people to be here? Over 120 signed up workers, adult workers that are coming to help us at our vacation Bible school and, and people sometimes look and they think, man, what in the world? I mean, preacher, why do you do what you do? Why does Calvary Baptist Church go to all the trouble to do what they're doing? I want to tell you tonight why we do that. How about this? Number one, we do it for the cause of eternity. Did you know that young people do die? Now, we don't like to talk about that, but young people do die. 1.2 million people die every year in car wrecks. 5,000 teenagers die each year due to fatal car crashes. In 2010, seven teens 
ages 16 to 19, died every single day from motor vehicle injuries. You say, Pastor, what is it? I mean, here you've been at Calvary Baptist Church for 30 years. Aren't you ready to pass this off? No, sir, buddy. Not for a half a second. I think, I think if anything, I'm more passionate today than I was 30 years ago about what we're doing because I know something and I know that you know it as well, that there is a cause and the cause is eternity. Hey, Calvary Baptist Church, if we don't get through any other point tonight, I want you to hear me on this one. I want you to think about tonight, think about all those young people who at one time have been a part of the Calvary Baptist Church, but they're no longer with us because they're in heaven today. Man, we can just start throwing out names. I think about Brad Sigmund, who was my nephew, who attended here for many, many months. Brad was tragically killed on a motorcycle. I think about Trenton Clutter. Most of you remember Trenton, who loved, by the way, who loved Bible school as much as anybody loved Bible school. And when we would have a contest, Trenton didn't want to win the money. He wanted a pie in his face. That's what he wanted. Trenton's in heaven. I think about Chesley Seisloff. Some of you workers out there tonight, you invested in bringing Chesley to the house of the Lord. I believe Chesley's in heaven tonight. I think about Austin Newhouse. I think about Sheila Tolbert. I think about all those young people who at one time or another came to Calvary Baptist Church and thank God they got under the sound of the gospel. They heard the sound of the gospel and they gave their heart life to Jesus Christ. Many years ago when we were down here in the old building and most of you know the story, but uh, you could, uh, if you were standing behind the pulpit, you could see, of course, right out the, the back door, the front door, however you want to say that. And I, I remember we, it was a Sunday morning service and and there was a, uh, toward the end of the service, there was a lady that came and I could see her sort of pacing back and forth uh, outside the door and I could tell there was something going on. And so we, we had the invitation into the service and, and after we ended the service, she came in and she came straight to the preacher. I knew who she was and she said, Pastor, she said, uh, did you hear about the accident that took place last night in Union Grove? And I said, yes, I, I did. Two young ladies were tragically killed. Two teenage young ladies. And she said, preacher, she said, the family doesn't have a pastor. And they were wondering if you would take care of the services. Uh, Jessica used to attend Calvary Baptist Church years ago and somebody picked her up on a bus and, and she used to come here and, and they want to know if, they, if you would cover the service. And, and I told her, I said, you go back and tell the parents that we'll do anything we can to try to be a blessing. I went home that day and I was trying to, I was trying to place this young lady in my mind and I, I just, I couldn't remember exactly when she'd come and if she'd ever made a decision. And that, that whole afternoon, I, I was just thinking about it. Boy, I wonder, I wonder if Jessica ever made a decision for Christ and, and, and it, it really got a hold of me. And so that night as I came back to the, <clears throat> to the service, some of you remember, I stood up there in the service and I said to our ladies, ladies, and I told them the story that I just told you. And I said, uh, here's what I'd like to do. If, if I have some ladies that would just hang around after the service tonight, we're gonna go through every single decision slip that we have in our files. And we're gonna see if we can find uh, where this young lady's name is in a decision slip. And I no more than had said that. Miss Sue Williams was seated over, seated over here on this side of the church. And Miss Sue raised her hand in the service. 
Miss Sue would never interrupt the service or disrupt the service. I knew there was a reason. And, and I said, Miss Sue, you want to say something? And she sort of picked her Bible up and she flipped over to the fly leaf, fly leaf and she said, Preacher, I've got Jessica's name right here in the fly leaf in my Bible. I led her to Jesus myself. Amen. Boy, you talk about having a service that night. Now, you say, Pastor, why do you do what you do? Why does Calvary Baptist Church do what they do? Because there is an eternity and children do die. And listen, we ought to do everything we can in our power. We ought to do everything we can with all the strength that God will give us to get as many young people to Jesus Christ as we can. Did you know tonight, church, that the greatest majority of people saved are saved between the ages of 12 years old and 16 years old? Dr. Jack House was saved at age 11. Dr. John R. Rice was saved at the age of 12. Matthew Henry was saved at the age of 11. Isaac Watts was saved at the age of nine. Jonathan Edwards at the age of eight. Richard Baxter was saved at the age of six. Corey Ten Boom was saved at the age of five. W.A. Criswell was saved at the age of 10. Philip Bliss, who wrote many of the songs in your songbook, was saved at the age of 12. William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, was saved at the age of 15. Harry Ironside, the pastor of the Moody Memorial Church in Chicago, Illinois, was saved at the age of 13. Billy Graham was saved at the age of 16 years old. What are you saying? I'm saying, listen, it's why we do what we do. It's why we make such a big deal out of child evangelism and the Good News Club and soul winning. That's why we do what we do because there is an eternity and in the time that we have we've got to get as many kids to Jesus as we can children do die listen to these statistics when one passes the age of 25 years old he has one chance in 1000 that he'll ever get saved when someone passes the age of 35 he has one chance in 50,000 that he'll ever come to Christ. When someone passes the age of 45, that's why we ought to shout every time somebody comes to Jesus. When someone passes the age of 45, he has one chance in 200,000. When someone passes the age of 55, he has one chance in 300,000. And you rest home workers, hear me out. When someone passes the age of 75 years old, he has one chance in 700,000 that he'll ever come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And you know what that tells me? That the nursing home ministry is vital. New research from the Barna Research Group of Venture, California. Nationwide surveys have determined the probability of people accepting Christ as their Savior in relation to a person's age. The data shows that if a person does not accept Jesus Christ as Savior before the age of 14, the likelihood of ever doing so is very slim. Based on a nationwide survey representative sampling of more than 4,200 young people and adults, the survey data shows that people from ages 5 through 13 
have a 32% probability of accepting Christ as their Savior. Young people from the ages 14 through 18 have just a 4% likelihood of doing so, while adults ages 19 through death have only a 6% probability of making that choice. Now again, I'm not gonna preach this, the whole message tonight, but I'm just telling you. You say, Pastor, why all this? Why go to all the trouble and rush home from work and try to, uh, try to swallow some supper and, 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 and throw on my vacation Bible school shirt and why come every single night and be war slap out by Friday night and why, why come and serve as a mascot? Why come and serve as a teacher and study a lesson? Why come and perform the music and, and why come and, and get involved in the contest and why come and, and be a greeter? And be, you say, Preacher, why do we do all this? I'll tell you why. For the cause of eternity. Can I at least give you the second one? How about the cause of excitement? Did you know the average kid, the average kid thinks of church as dead, dry, cold, unhappy, lifeless? You've heard the story, I know. A dad and his son had attended church. They were seated up close to the front and the dad fell asleep. And the preacher was preaching and it bothered the preacher. And so finally he said to the little boy, he said, son, son, wake your dad up. And the little boy spoke out and said, you put him to sleep, you wake him up. <laughs> a mom took her little boy to, the, to church and, and after the service they and it was sort of a dead service. I mean, the music was dead. Preaching was dead as a doornail. After the service, they went out into the foyer. In the foyer, they had, uh, they had these, all these pictures of military fellows that used to attend the church. And they had, uh, you know, they had passed away. And, and, uh, and the little boy got to look at all the pictures in the foyer. And he said, Mama, he said, what are these? And, and she said, well, honey, what this is, she said, these are all pictures of men who died in the service. And he said, which one, Sunday morning or Sunday night? Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you, you're gonna agree with everything we do, but I am saying this, that there ought to be a church somewhere in Union Grove, somewhere in North Carolina, where some young people can come and they know there's gonna be some life, there's gonna be some breath, there's gonna be some excitement, there's gonna be some passion. You say, Pastor, why do you do all this? I'll tell you why. Because when our kids walk in on Sunday morning, we want them to say, wow, man, these people really take church important. You know why? Because it's worth taking important. If God's business is the most important business in the, in the whole world, it ought to be treated like it is. The cause of eternity, the cause of excitement. How about this? The cause of example. Take your Bibles real quickly, if you will. Turn over to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter number 18. Look at verse number 15. Did you know that children were a big part of Jesus' earthly ministry. Luke chapter 18, verse number 15. Very interesting story here. The Bible says, and they brought unto him also infants. Infants. That he would touch them, but when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For such is the kingdom of God. 
Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. James 1.27 says it like this, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And I, listen, I'm not, I don't live in a cloud. I understand that we have critics. And people are gonna criticize. We're gonna preach the gospel every night. We're gonna give kids an opportunity to get saved. You say, Pastor, are all of those gonna be sincere? I don't know. By the way, neither do you. And you can say, well, that child didn't mean it, but I hate to tell you this, but you're not God and I'm not either. And so we have people and they criticize, you know, and they say, there goes that Calvary having that vacation Bible school and inviting all those little kids in. And, uh, and I want to just, you know, in Christian love, I, I want to just step back and say, well, it's your beach, what you're doing. I'd rather do something. I'd rather make an attempt. They may not all be genuine, but there is a Holy Spirit. And if it's not genuine, I believe there's a Spirit of God that will reveal to them that they need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, my dear friend, we understand something that in Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus were a big part of his earthly ministry. How about this? The cause of eligibility. Hey, do you know who's eligible, and this has already been said tonight, do you know who's eligible to be the hope of the next generation? And I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for Mike and Nina. I'm thankful, number one, they can take a joke about their age. I'm thankful for our older folks in the church. By the way, I've said that here. I've said it out of here. I've said it behind their backs. I'm going to tell you something. Our older folks add, they add something to this congregation. And I love Brother Mike and Miss Nina, but, I, I, but I'm going to tell you something. They're not the hope of the next generation. And for that matter, neither are we. My wife and I are not the hope of the next generation. You know the hope of the next generation is the ones you saw for tonight. And the ones that we're going to see walk in this room this week, those little kids, those little boys, those little girls, and, and uh, some of them are not all, all going to be behaved, and some of them are going to be a little mischievous, and, and, uh, and they're not always going to behave like you think they ought to behave. And, and, uh, but please understand something, that that is the hope of the next generation. One-third of the world's population is under the age of 15 years old. There are 263 million people who live in America. 68 million are boys and girls under the age of 12. 25 million of those boys and girls will grow up without any religious training. 25 million will never hear a prayer prayed in their presence. 25 million will never see a Bible read in their presence. Five million will grow up having criminal records. 500,000 will spend time in prison. Five million will be incurable drunks or what they call incurable drunks or drug addicts. 75% of them will end their marriages in divorce. 11 million teenagers are sexually active. One out of two, one out, one out of every two graduates are not virgins. You say, Pastor, I don't think you ought to preach that. Well, somebody better start preaching it. 
Somebody better start getting bold and saying some things from the pulpit that need to be said. Did you know that every year, every year, 15 million Americans will contract a sexually transmitted disease? You say, big deal, pretty big, because one quarter of those are teenagers. Right now, approximately one out of every 300, one out of every 300 Americans over the age of 13 is infected with HIV. Now you say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying, this is the hope of the next generation. Hey, teacher, that's why this week when you stand up before that class and proclaim God's word, man, do it with the power of God. Do it with boldness and passion and be excited about it. Any job that you take care of this week, make sure that you do it with excitement because these kids are the hope of the next generation. You say, well, preacher, it's just this little kid. I've seen him before. I, I know where he lives. There's nothing special about him. Listen, you don't know what God could do with that one little kid that comes to vacation Bible school. Most of you know the name Dr. Lee Robertson. He was the pastor of the great Highland Park Baptist Church, Chattanooga, Tennessee. At one time, it was the largest, one of the largest churches in the world. Dr. Robertson, under the the help of the Lord, went on to start Tennessee Temple University, Camp Joy. They were able to reach countless, countless souls. You know where it happened? Dr. Lee Robertson went to Sunday school with a friend. He was 14 years old. And there was a lady named Miss Daisy Halls. The friend brought Lee Robertson to class and Daisy Halls went to Lee and said, Lee, have you ever trusted Christ as Savior? And Lee Robertson said, no, ma'am. And she said, would you like to? He said, yes, ma'am. And Lee Robertson was born again. I'm gonna tell you something. Let me tell you who's gonna get a lot of rewards in heaven. A lady by the name, by the way, a lady that nobody else knows about, but God knows about her. (laughs) And she's gonna get some great rewards in heaven. I'm gonna end with this. I remember my preacher telling this story many times. He was a little ghetto kid in Texas, a suburb of Dallas, Texas. His dad was an alcoholic. He tells a story about how he can remember numerous times his daddy coming home drunk, passing out in the driveway. Numerous times his dad would come home and and he would beat his mother, knock her teeth out. Brother Howe said that at a very early age, his dad left him and and just uh, forsook him. And Brother Howe said as 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 a little boy, He said, me and my mom decided to go to the Fern Hill Baptist Church. Now, please hear me, and I'm I'm done. They walked down to the Fern Hill Baptist Church. They were one of the very first ones there that Sunday morning. Brother Howe said, we were so poor. He said, in fact, we were so poor. He said, I didn't even have shoes on my feet. I mean, we were poor. We were ghetto. We were poor. He said, my little mom was a hard, hard worker. 
and she would work and work and try to scrape enough money together to, to feed us. And he said, but her teeth looked like they were rotten out of her head. And, and he said, we walked into the Fern Hill Baptist Church that day. And there was a lady by the name of Jewel Bethel. And she walked up to, to uh, Coastal Matty Hiles and Little Jackie Boy, and she said, hello, folks. We are so glad you've come to the Fern Hill Baptist Church. By the way, that's the kind of welcome all everybody ought to get. And she began to talk to them and converse with them, and then she said to Mrs. Hiles, Mrs. Hiles, she said, I'm the teacher of the class that, brother, that, that little Jackie boy is going to be in. And she said, would it be okay if I took little Jackie boy to class with me? And Mrs. House let Mrs. Jewel Bethel take him to class. And that day they went down to the class and other little kids began to come. And Brother House said other little boys came. They had nice slacks on and shiny shoes. And he said, that day as the class began, he said, Mrs. Jewel Bethel said before all those boys, she said, boys, Jesus loves you. And Brother Howell said, as a little ghetto-bound boy, he looked up that teacher and he said, Mrs. Bethel, does Jesus love me as much as he loves these little boys with shiny shoes on? And Brother Howell said a tear got in her eye and she picked him up and put him on her lap. and She said, Jackie boy, I think today, Jesus probably loves you just a little bit more. Brother Howell said his life was never the same after that. A godly Sunday school teacher stood before the class and proclaimed to him that there was someone who loved him and cared about him. Now, folks, you can close your Bibles. We're done. Let me tell you what's going to happen probably this week. Some little kid's going to walk in here they come from a broken home. Either mom's not in the picture or dad's not in the picture. And, and, and let me tell you how kids feel sometimes. When mom or dad leave, sometimes kids feel like it was their fault. And so evidently I didn't do something right or dad would have never left. And, and so a lot of times those kids coming to a place like this and they're struggling with their self-esteem and they're struggling because maybe they believe that nobody cares about them and nobody loves them. And, and, uh, and, 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 and is, it, is it possible, is it possible that, that there is a Bible-believing church in North Iredell County and this week as little boys walk in and little girls walk in and teenagers come in, may there be a place uh, here in North Iredell County when folks come in and we say, God loves you, Jesus loves you, you're precious to him. And by the way, God has got big, gigantic, colossal, gigantic plans for you. I told this story the other day. Indianapolis, Indiana. Indianapolis, Indiana. A little 12-year-old boy walked into the church, a Baptist church, Indianapolis, Indiana. His name was John Dellinger. And John Dillinger came from a rough, rough, rough situation. In fact, I think John Dillinger's mom was out of the picture and his dad was trying to raise him somewhat. And John Dillinger didn't, didn't know how to behave. And he went down to that local church and he was, a little, he was a little out of sorts. And one of the older folks in the church came to John Dillinger and said, let me tell you something, boy. You won't be acting like that and coming back here. And he didn't. 
But he, came, he became one of the most well-known bank robbers in American history. You know what I've often wondered? I've often wondered if that situation could have been done differently and if someone would have walked down beside little John Dillinger and said, hey, buddy, man, I'm glad you came today. Amen. Would you mind if I sit with you? Would you mind if I just be your friend? Would you, would you mind if I just sort of show you what we do here at the church? I've got a good feeling that that situation would have turned out much, much different. Hey, Calvary, there's a cause. There's a cause. Would you bow your heads with me tonight all over the house? Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, that the kids sang about tonight. Lord, we're glad that your mercy is running after us. We thank you for, for grace. We thank you for salvation so full and free. Father, we're not better than anybody. But Lord, would you help us to be different at Calvary? God, could, could you help us to rise above the norm? Could you help us to rise above the status quo for churches? Father, would you help us this week to have a heart full of love and patience and mercy? As people come and new people come and families come and little boys and girls come and teenagers come, God, as they walk onto the property, would you help them to feel and to see the love of Jesus Christ? Father, I, we will be tired by Friday night, but there's a cause. There's a cause. Hey, Lord. And I pray this tonight. Would you help my path to intersect this week with a young person who wants to be saved? I sure would love to lead somebody to you personally this week. Would you help that to happen? God, maybe there's some others here tonight that could pray that same prayer. Lord, would you help my path to cross the path of a young person who wants to be saved? And would you give me the opportunity to lead them to a saving knowledge of Jesus? Lord, would you help my path to cross the path of that teenager who feels like nobody in the world loves them, nobody cares for them? Lord, would you give me the opportunity to tell them this week that I love them? But 10,000 times more than I could ever love them, God loves them. There's a cause. Father, I pray that you'd have your way in this invitation tonight. Speak to hearts, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed. I know the time is late, and we're going we're gonna to go.